Hello, I'm Aaron Lohr, and this is the Endocrine News Podcast. Endocrine disrupting chemicals are pretty much everywhere, and all of us have some level of exposure. Today, we'll be talking about some new research presented at Endo 2022 on a group of endocrine disrupting chemicals called parabens. The title of that abstract is Parabens Promote Pro-Tumorigenic Effects in Luminal Breast Cancer Cell Lines with Diverse Genetic Ancestry. Joining us is one of the authors of that study, Dr. Lindsay Trevino, Assistant Professor at City of Hope in Duarte, California. Thank you for being here today. Thank you very much for talking with me about our research today. So let's start with talking about disparities. What do we know about disparities in breast cancer risk and mortality? We do know that there are a number of different areas where we do see disparities in breast cancer risk and mortality. For example, incidence rates are higher among black women than white women uh, under the age of 40. Mm -hmm. We also know that the mortality rate is about 39% higher for black women compared with white women. And black women are twice as likely to be diagnosed with triple negative disease, which is an aggressive form of the disease with poor prognosis. Mm. So it's difficult to treat compared to women of other racial and ethnic groups. Well, one underlying cause may be exposure to endocrine disrupting chemicals like parabens. Some of us maybe never have heard of that. So what are parabens and where are they found? So parabens are chemicals that are widely used as preservatives in a lot of different products, but especially in cosmetics and personal care products. So they're used because they help increase the shelf life of the products. So mm -hmm. companies like that, right, because they can stick around for a long time on the shelf. And they are absorbed into the body through the skin, metabolized, mm. and then eliminated from the body pretty readily. So we can do this pretty readily. However, because we use these products daily and we, we use more than one product that mm -hmm. will contain these chemicals, we have a continuous exposure that can negatively impact our health. And I would like to point out that black women use more hair and personal care products that contain these chemicals than white women. And combining that with the disparities you described earlier, that sounds like not a good recipe to have. Exactly. So you mentioned they might have ill effects on our health. If we're exposed to parabens or in our, our bathrooms at home or wherever else we may find them, and we have that exposure, how might that possibly affect our health? You know, they do fall under the class of endocrine disrupting chemical, which mm -hmm. means that generally they disrupt hormones in the body. And studies have shown that they can have negative impacts on fertility and the and reproductive system. They can affect birth outcomes for pregnant women who are exposed, and they can also increase the risk of certain types of cancer. And for people who have allergies, they can also cause skin irritation. So that's more of a minor thing, but still, I mean, it's something to be of concern for people that have these types of allergies. And it's important to know what these effects are because parabens have been detected in nearly all samples that have been tested from adults in the United States. So use is ubiquitous, we're all exposed, and Studies have shown that the more personal care products you use, the higher the measurement of the paraben levels in your body. <laughs> there was a study that showed that black women also have higher urinary levels of parabens compared to other racial and ethnic groups. So again, going back to why it's important to think about this exposure in the context of disparities of breast cancer. You're painting a constellation here that I'm not sure I'm excited about, but <laughs> definitely we're all probably concerned about. So specifically with this new research you're presenting at Endo, what was it that you hope to learn to discover in this issue? 
The really important thing that I always try to emphasize when I talk about this research is that what we do in the laboratory actually started with a question that came from the community. So this was community members expressing concern about the potential link between chemicals in your hair and personal care products and breast cancer risk, specifically for black women. And the question that came up repeatedly was, but how do we know that there is this link? How do we know that these chemicals in our hair and personal care products are actually harming us? And may be leading to this increased risk for breast cancer. And it turns out <laughs> that this is actually a gap in knowledge, particularly for breast cancer development and progression in Black women. So this gap is due to maybe it's multifactorial, right? But uh, due in part to the fact that most studies examining this link have been conducted using white cell lines or samples oh. from white women. And so as an example, we're talking about parabens specifically, we do know that the exposure to parabens has been linked to several hallmarks of cancer. So including increased cell survival, decreased apoptosis, altered cell metabolism and invasion and metastasis. However, these studies only used white cell lines. So to try to respond to the question raised by the community, we actually asked the simple question, <laughs> What are the effects of parabens on black breast cancer cell lines? Because no is, one had done it before. This is absolutely fascinating because there's been a lot of episodes like this where we ask, why did you choose to do this? It's not often we hear well, the community asked us to. Tell us about your study. In order to answer that question, we took MCF7 breast cancer cells. So this is a very common cell line that people use in studies looking at breast cancer. And these are white cell lines, so they're of European ancestry, right? Mm -hmm. derived from a woman of European ancestry. And we also then took an equivalent cell, so the same type of cancer, so those are luminal A breast cancer cell lines. So we took a luminal A breast cancer cell line, HCC1500, that has West African ancestry, so that came from a woman, uh, a black woman, and then treated them with physiologically relevant levels of three different types of parabens. So butylparaben, propylparaben, and methylparaben. There are a lot of different types, but we focused in on these because these are the ones that are most commonly found in personal care products. And butylparaben and propylparaben have been designated a nine on a scale, a hazard scale from the environmental working group. It's a mm -hmm. one to 10 scale, 10 being the worst. So butylparaben and propylparaben are a nine. And then mm -hmm. methylparaben are kind of mid-range, three to four, but methylparaben is found in a lot of products. So we wanted to include that one as well. So after treatment with the parabens, we then measured either cell viability or expression of estrogen-regulated genes. And so as you know, estrogen signaling is important for breast cancer development and progression. So we wanted to see what the impact of paraben exposure would be on this signaling pathway. What did you find? <laughs> so we have two main findings that we've included in the abstract that we're presenting here at ENDO. One being that the black breast cancer cell line, so HCC1500, may be more sensitive to parabens compared to the white breast cancer cell line. And we had two observations that support this. We observed that butylparaben increased HCC1500, but not MCF7 cell viability at the doses that we tested in this mm. study. And we also observed a more robust increase of estrogen-regulated gene expression in HCC1500 compared to MCF7. And this was with butylparaben and propylparaben. So even though we saw that both cell lines responded by having increased estrogen-regulated gene expression, the levels of expression were higher in the black cell line compared to the white wow. cell line. Yeah, and then the second main finding we had was that butylparaben and propylparaben may be more tumorigenic than methylparaben. And so 
what we found in our data that supports this is that we had no increase of cell viability in either cell line or estrogen-regulated gene expression in either cell line when we treated with methylparaben. You mentioned there's different kinds of parabens, and now that we've been talking about you know, some of the risks that might be involved here as we, we look at them, is it easy to identify which products in the house have these different kinds of parabens? I look at the back of the cereal box you know, before I eat sometimes yes. to make sure I'm trying to make good decisions, but I don't often read the back of like a shampoo bottle. Is that clearly indicated? And, is that one of the best ways for us to maybe limit our exposure? Yeah. So there are some things that are not clearly indicated. So for example, fragrance is a very general term that could be mm -hmm. thousands of different types of chemicals. So fragrance, you know, it doesn't really tell you what the chemical is, but butylparaben, methylparaben, and propylparaben will be on the label in the back. What we tell people who ask us, well, how do we know, or where do we look is to look at the top five ingredients, because normally those are the ones that are, there's the most of the chemical. Those are the ones that have the highest levels in the product. There are also apps that you can use. There's a Think Dirty app, and there's an environmental working group Skin Deep app. They have um, barcode scanners that you can scan. I do this all the time. I drive people crazy who go shopping <laughs> with me, you know, at Target. I'm in the, yeah. in the aisle with the shampoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> using the apps. And, sounds like it's a good idea. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Sometimes they don't have the product in the yeah. database or whatever, but they're always building the databases. But it's, uh, which is why it's a good idea to look at the top five ingredients uh, in those cases. But I use these apps all the time when I'm shopping and mm -hmm. I just scan them. And if it's there, it'll tell me, you know, for the environmental working group, the products on the scale from the one to 10, with the 10 being the most hazardous. And then you can look at the list of ingredients and decide that maybe it's a five, but it has a lot of stuff that's not that bad. And do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you can kind of decide for yourself, I'm okay with a five because I really want to use this product or I'm, man, I didn't know this was an eight. I want to go ahead and switch this out. I'm guessing there's not too many that fall low on the scale of one to 10? Are there ones, are there ones and twos out there? There or? are ones oh, and okay. twos out there. Yeah. So for me, like I use the threshold, I'm kind of like, well, if it's a three or four, it's okay. You know, and, and it just depends on what the product does. And can you afford the replacement product? Because a lot of times there are these uh, boutique products yep. that don't have these chemicals, but they're um, not accessible because they're not affordable. Mm -hmm. Right. So these, these apps are really good. And then there's a new, like for your browser when you're shopping online, uh, it's called Clearia. So C-L-E-A-R-Y-A. -E okay. So it's an extension that you can have if you're doing it on your desktop or if you're doing it in your mobile, there's a version also that while you're shopping and you put something in your cart, it'll tell you, hold the phone. Like oh, yeah. maybe you don't want to get that. Yeah, red alert. <laughs> yeah, red alert. <laughs> I try to tell people don't panic and throw all your stuff out because, it. you know, when I started doing this work, I was like, oh, no, I have to throw out everything. But I... You know, I was like a postdoc. I couldn't afford to throw yeah. everything out. Yeah. So little by little, once, you know, use up your product and you know you need a new shampoo, maybe you think, okay, I, I really want to try to use something cleaner. Let mm -hmm. me start looking for an alternative. There's no need to just throw everything out and and start from scratch and, and just kind of maybe start incorporating some of these cleaner products into your everyday usage. Yeah, it sounds like a wise approach. What you found, you know, seems to be novel, you know, hasn't really been done this before this way. So a lot of people are probably wondering, well, you know, what's next? And that we're armed with this new information. Um, where do we go? How might this impact patient care down the road or, or, or future research? You know, right. that we're learning more and identifying the next gap to fill in. Yeah. 
So we're still kind of early on in the project, you know, and so there's still a lot of stuff to do, a lot of questions that we have to answer still. But they suggest that women at high risk of breast cancer, particularly black women who mm-hmm. use these types of products that have these chemicals, should really start thinking about reducing their exposure to EDCs like mm-hmm. parabens and these products. And my hope, really, I mean, this may be naive, but one day we'll, we'll have enough data to support legislation to be able to ban some of these. So um, in the United States, this is not really an area that's regulated well. And in Europe, they they have banned a lot more of these chemicals, including parabens. So in personal care products, some of the parabens are banned in Europe, but not here, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing, you know, to be able to say, we know that there are these health effects, so let's support legislation to ban or, or or do something about that, but also to be able to support guidelines for clinicians so that clinicians who see people who are at risk, you know, for breast cancer patients, for example, for this study, but also for anyone who has a disease that could be impacted by endocrine disrupting chemicals, to be able to help assess those exposures and then tell the patients, hey, you can reduce these exposures if you do these kinds of things. One example of how there have been effective intervention strategies and how those can be developed um, is the Hermosa study out of UC Berkeley. In this study, the products used by Latina teens were inventoried and then replaced with low chemical options for three days, only for three days. And they did measurements of urinary levels of different chemicals, including parabens, before and after this three-day intervention. And they found that they were able to decrease uh, paraben levels by more than 40%. Oh, that's significant. Yeah significant. They also reduced levels of other chemicals like triclosan and phthalates to similar levels. And so that study really shows the power of intervention strategies that importantly are culturally relevant. Mm -hmm. So they were able to reach, you know, that population and then say, hey, maybe you want to make your own or you want to replace it with this or Mm -hmm. something. And that was really interesting. So yeah, that's the one thing about impacting patient care. But the other thing about future research is I think this study highlights that we need more studies using diverse cell lines and diverse patient samples to determine if and how these exposures impact cancer development and therapeutic right. outcomes. And we just don't know. We don't have enough data to tell us that yet, but it's a growing research area and we're learning more and more. Mm-hmm. And we also need more multidisciplinary research initiatives that incorporate input from the community. I want to come back to one thing we said earlier that the community, in a sense, asked for this sort of research to be done. And I'm wondering, does this have something to do with the Bench to Community Initiative that's mentioned in your abstract? And if so, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it it definitely has something to do with the Bench to Community Initiative because this Bench to Community Initiative came about because my collaborator, Dr. Dede Tete, who's an assistant professor at Chapman University, came to me and said, I have this question from the community because she's a social behavioral scientist. She was working on a community-based participatory research project. And she was the one that came to me when I started in my current position at City of Hope and said, we have this question. What do we know about it? And it's like, we don't know enough. (laughs) Let's work together. And so together we are the principal investigators on this Bench to Community initiative. And we have two goals. So really is to develop a multidisciplinary partnership with different community stakeholders, but also basic scientists like myself, social behavioral scientists like Dr. Tete, to really understand the social, cultural and biological determinants of the link between the EDC exposure in personal care products and breast cancer risk. And then 
the next phase of the project will be to develop and implement these community interventions aimed at reducing breast cancer risk. And that will be multifaceted, but include reducing the exposures to ABCs in the personal care products. And so this is why I mentioned that we need the community, Mm -hmm. but we also need multidisciplinary research from different backgrounds, not just basic science, right, to be able to, to do this. And so I'm really excited about being a part of this team, really. And we are, I mean, we couldn't do it without our community advisory board. So we have a community advisory board set up where we have members who are salon owners, stylists. We have uh, breast cancer advocates and a survivor, right? So Mm -hmm. one uh, person who's a survivor and breast cancer advocate. We have health educators. We have people who are involved in policy and health education. And so they've been instrumental. And so these, these members are Tanya Fairley. Tia Tomlin-Harris, Bing Turner, and Maggie Hawkins. And so I just wanted to give them a shout out because they've been instrumental in what we've been doing, trying to not only further the science of it, but also make sure that we're doing education and outreach. So this Bench Community Initiative, you can look us up. We're online. We're on Twitter. We're on uh, Instagram. We're on Facebook. We have Salon Conversations. So we have a YouTube channel where we've done uh, outreach and education events. So we have little videos on there and everything. I'm talking about this these very issues that we that you and I are discussing right now. And so it's been really amazing. And I have learned a lot as a basic scientist. I've learned a lot about what the community can bring mm-hmm. to the table. And I'm just so grateful and lucky that I'm a part of this initiative and I'm able to work with them and learn from them. Yeah, it sounds absolutely brilliant. You often hear people say, I, I want to get the community more involved, but it's, it's rare to find a group that actually has involved the community to the sense they're on an advisory board of sorts and, and helping to move with everyone and influence what we need, what we need to hear about, working alongside the scientists this way. But I want to say thank you for, for joining us on the podcast to talk about parabens, share your amazing research, and also tell us a bit about Bench to Community. And for those of you who are interested in that and want to hear more, we'll link to it in the podcast description. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for asking me. This was great. That's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing Dr. Trevino discuss her research. Her research was presented at a news conference on endocrine disrupting chemicals at Endo 2022. If you'd like to view the news conference, we'll include a link in today's episode description. Also presented in that news conference was a study from Dr. P.S. Mohan Kumar entitled Sex and Dose-Dependent Effects of In Utero Endocrine Disruptor Exposure on Offspring Behavior and Brain Monoamines. We'll be back soon with another fantastic dive into the world of endocrinology, but until then, thanks for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.